Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, here as usual with my favorite critic and co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Thank you. Good. Okay. So um, we've got a lot of variety on today's show, and uh, we're going to start off by finishing our coverage of the Canadian Film Fest, which continues through to the end of the weekend. It's, uh, it's on Super Channel, so it's easy enough to get and, uh, you know, no excuses. You don't have to leave the house. <laughs> there it is. You just get it and uh, you tune in. The Last Mark is, is showing on April 1st. So it's a really interesting action crime thriller that is, uh, it's directed by Reem Morsi and is from a screenplay by Shara Meyer. And it's sort of based on a story co-written with Bruno Marino. So there are a lot of talent there uh, that went into the making of the film. And it's a, it's, I like the twist that it does on the action crime thriller. This, the scene is a mob hit. And what the gangsters don't really realize at first is that there is a woman in the room and she witnesses they're hit, but they do realize it as she goes flying out the door. <laughs> and, and one of them is charged with going after her, getting her and killing her because, you know, they don't know what she saw. So better to be on the safe side. So in this process of going and getting her and finding her, he sort of realizes that like something about her this sort of changes his strategy on what he's going to do. And he decides to defy his partner in crime and instead go hide out. We still don't know. This is the great thing. We still don't know if he's planning a killer, but there is enough humor. That's the twist that, I, that I'm, I'm talking about. Not only does this guy have second thoughts about killing her, which is a twist enough, but there's some really strange kind of humor that gets you know wrung out of these situations and one of them especially revolves around people calling him and i can't say the word i don't think at this hour on radio region um but he keep you know people keep calling him let's say jerk <laughs> and he keeps saying i am not a jerk and that that's part of you know the running gag uh so I just really like the creativeness, creative uh, nature of, of the approach. Um, and I really liked the performances. It becomes sort of a, you know, a two-hander, two people hiding out in a house. There's some, you know, other drama going on with other characters, especially the partner. He's a psychopath. <laughs> he has found out that, you know, he has, the guy hasn't killed the woman. So you know, there's this sort of like thrilling aspect where we don't know if he he's trying to find them. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a great it, it like it's got the, all these secondary characters that really fill out uh, sort of the tone, the atmosphere, the whole, you know. And yeah, so it's like it's, it's like it's not your average thriller. And I really I really like that. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it as well. And it's it's funny because this premise is a, you know, well-worn 
premise. So I, when this film started, I was immediately taken back to Diary of a Hitman, um, the Forrest Whitaker, I think it was Forrest Whitaker from uh, film where from 19, I think it was 91, where similar case, he's a hitman hired to do a job and then something happens and he now has to kind of question whether or not he can go through with the job and the sacrifices that come with that decision. And I, and I felt that what this film does so well is it takes a lot of established tropes, but adds a little bit of nuanced humor to it. And I think the performances really sell it, as you said, like, you know, the, the main hitman Keely who's played by Sean Doyle is that kind of gruff, doesn't want to show emotion type. But when he's around this woman, Peyton played by Alexa fast, uh, the dynamics are, are quite interesting, especially because he has some information that Peyton doesn't have or possibly has some information. So that makes that dynamics work well. And then you have the, the partner Palmer, as you said, the, the psycho of the group. And I thought um, Bryce Hodgins did a really wonderful job yeah. making yeah. the character both creepy and funny at the same time, which is a, which is very tough to do um, and, and still keep the film grounded the way it does so yeah it, it it defined my expectations for it like i i thought okay this is gonna be a paint by numbers thriller and i got something that was a lot more refreshing and, and entertaining so yeah I, I highly recommend this one yeah i think we both do so that that was a film called the last mark and it's playing as part of the canadian film fest on super channel mm-hmm. and uh, you know i'm gonna change gears slightly um, and another film that I thought was filled with great performances, it's obviously a much bigger budget film, is The Batman. Um, and that is the new take on the Batman lore from um, director Matt Reeves, who I believe did the, the modern Planet of the Apes um, reboots. And what he presents this time with The Batman is yet another really dark Um, take on the Batman mythos, but he makes it more of a detective mystery. So Batman is essentially trying to solve a a serial killer um, who's leaving all these clues for him. There's a series of crimes going on by the serial killer, and he's trying to decipher who the killer is and trying to stop him before he gets to his next villain. Um, The fact that the killer is leaving a lot of clues and shall we say riddles for him to uncover should let you know who the main comic book villain is from the Batman um, mythos. But what I found interesting is the way how this film kind of pieces everything together. It's not quite a origin story. So in this universe, Batman has been essentially working as a vigilante for two years and they already have the bat symbol. Jeffrey Wright plays commissioner Gordon um, you have the Penguin, Oswald Cobblepot, played by Colin Farrell, who's really good in this film. And he's kind of like a, a number two level crime boss. He's not the big kind of um, crime figure that we expect him to be. And then also we have Zoe Kravitz, who is um, phenomenal as Selena Kyle, Catwoman. So you have all these pieces r- moving around and Batman's especially kind of young and moody. Um, you know, you could, some people have joked that this is an emo Batman and and I can kind of see it. Uh, so you have all these pieces kind of floating around in a really visually captivating film. Um, the, the film is three hours. I don't know if it really justifies its runtime. Um, my qualms with the Batman is that 
for everything it does right, it's missing for me the sense of fun that comes with a, a Batman film. Like it, this is a good movie, but I it's it does it was it needed more humor, you know. Like you to have a morose Batman moving around. We've we've seen that a gazillion times. Um, and I wish that there was as odd as it's to say, I wish there was more Bruce Wayne in this movie. Um, I, you know, Matt Reeves approaches it from the stance of Batman basically being the embodiment of the real Bruce Wayne. The, Bruce Wayne is really this vigilante figure um, who has morals, but is more of a brutal uh, um, enforcer. He, he refers to himself as he is vengeance. You know, I've heard this film uh, described as being like a super noir. So in, in what you're saying, Hank, that reminds me of, you know, the fact that that's what it's been called, the super noir. Do you mm. think it works that way? I, it, it does work as a, a noir um, film. It's, you know, it's got all the elements, the, the political corruption that's occurring in Gotham City is, is quite fascinating to, to watch unfold. Um, I think the fact that we've seen Batman in so many different incarnations on the big screen, you know, cartoons, what have you, there's a certain element to Batman's character that I think humanizes him a little bit more. Whereas in this one, I was watching him go through the motions. Like, I love that they were playing up the whole detective, hardball detective kind of aspect. But there was times where I was like, okay, this is, this is fine. You know, it's a little ho-hum. Like, I needed a little more jolt. And I think partly because you're dealing with a, a villain, a serial killer who you only see in spurts for a large portion of it. It's not like in The Dark Knight, um, with Heath Ledger, where you get to spend time and see the Joker moving around the crime world, right? You, you know, we see facets of the crime world here. John Turturro plays a crime boss, and he's you know very good in it. But they don't have that kind of interaction that really makes them truly memorable. Um, you know, there's and when Batman and the Riddler do finally come face to face, Paul Dano as the Riddler is is phenomenal. But again, it's it's a small doses, and without having the Bruce Rain moments, which kind of makes the whole conflict of this billionaire trying to keep a double life um, a little makes the mystery a little more complicated. Whereas I found here, you, there wasn't that much Bruce Wayne, just normal. So, it, you know, you, I think you kind of need that balance for mm. a Batman film, and him being as Bruce Wayne allows him to interact with people, sometimes even villains without knowing in a very unique way opposed to him kind of with the Cape and cowl going from crime scene to crime scene. And also there's not to, to quibble, but there are a few moments in this film where me as a regular viewer put two and two together. And it took Batman the entire film to like notice <laughs> certain things, right? Like certain photos. I'm like, Oh, well clearly all these photos seem to be taken from the same angle, you know, X, Y, therefore, such and such would happen. But it, that never occurs until like much later on. And then they realize, oh, maybe we should check here. It's like, ah, oh, okay. It took you three hours to get to this point, which I got through in you know, the first 20 minutes. Like it's like, moments like that. So, you know, overall, I say it, it is a good movie. Um, it's, it's worth seeing. It's, I don't think it's the greatest Batman film. Like a lot of people have been praising it to be, but it's, it's a solid entry. It's, you know, we don't, we don't need another Batman movie. But this one was was perfectly fine. It was it, it entertains, you know, it does what it does on 
the basic level. That's too bad. I really like Batman movies. And I like, uh, you know, when there's variations in the different films and different people's take on it. But something you said, uh, you know, at the beginning of your review, which was, you know, this it's not as fun. There's always been an element of fun. And maybe that comes from more interaction with the villains, as you were mm-hmm. pointing out, you know, that that that, you know, I, I will see it. I will sit through the three hours. I probably won't have a problem with that. But yeah, it it is a superhero movie. So yeah. And, you know, you could always do I'm always up for different interpretations and different takes. It was just as visually stunning as there's some wonderful shots, the color palettes that they use, you know, to fit in with the whole noir thing. It it, like it looks great. It was just one of those movies where I walked away and I wasn't as much as I enjoyed it. I wasn't as jazz as I was with some of the other ones. Like I can still think back to seeing Tim Burton's 1989 for the first 89 version and you know i'm a big fan of the the nolan versions of batman um you know i I was happy that the joker was not in this film because we don't need more joker in this universe but yeah i just you know even some of the action sequences there there's especially towards the end the climatic action is very well crafted and I i kept thinking i really should be getting much more of a charge from this but at that point i was just like oh it's it's all nice i just I'm missing that something that really makes me walk away holding my head going, I can't believe that was so great. It was just like, Oh, it's, it's nice. No. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) And again, me saying it's nice may sound more um, condescending than, than I actually intend to be. It's just, it, it didn't jazz me as much as it seems to get everyone else excited. I think it's a perfectly good movie. It's just, it didn't reach that pinnacle that I was kind of hoping it, it would. But I will say that um, this has been a phenomenal year for Zoe Kravitz because I also watched the Steven Soderbergh film that was released this year called Kimmy. Um, and in that she plays a agoraphobic um, tech worker for this Facebook-like company. And she part of her job is they have a device known as Kimmy, which is essentially like Alexa, um, one of those devices that you speak to and can tell you the time, date, all that information. But she's the human element to it. So if the system messes up something, so if you say, what time is it? And it starts playing Bon Jovi, for example, or if you use a slang term that it doesn't recognize, she's the human element that goes into the system and will correct the information so that next time, if you reference the time or if you reference that you use a particular slang, the Kimmy device will know what is occurring. So as she's going through all these error logs, she comes across one where she thinks sounds like a, a woman being murdered or potentially being murdered. And from there, the, the story unfolds as she's trying to dig into this potential crime and also the implications of what it would have for this company that are that has these um device these Kimmy devices so uh, that's all I will say um it's a Steven Soderbergh film it's I, he did it for HBO Max but I mean this is one of those that easily could have played on the big screen and it's just a really nice contained thriller that hangs a lot on Zoe Kravitz's performance and she does very well like you know you get the 
they put a lot of clues at the beginning to let you know that, you know, she's a individual who has autism. Um, so that impacts her agoraphobia um, and how she just navigates the world, but they don't do it in an exploitive way. Um, and there are a couple of moments where, so some situations where she will get into some type of altercation and conveniently gets out of it, but it doesn't really impact the overall story. Like it, it was fascinating. It was really enjoyable. Um, yeah, it was, I was happy, you know, I'm happy that Soderbergh had his mini retirement and decided he still has a lot more stories to tell. That sounds exciting. It's always exciting uh, when someone like Soderbergh decides he's not really retired. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, to be honest, we did not believe he was going yeah. to retire anyway. Like Tom Brady, they say they're retired, but they're not really retired. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Do you want to shift gears entirely? Sure. Shall we, shall we shift gears entirely? Um, wow, I can't believe I watched this. <laughs> uh, okay, so in the category of uh, you, you just can't believe it. <laughs> we all, I guess, not all, but we, a lot of us at least heard of um, the show that was on Netflix. Uh, called uh, yeah i know it's one tiger king right tiger king and uh so yeah it was a bit of a phenomenon at the beginning of the pandemic right where a lot of people were like you know because you couldn't go out you couldn't do anything there was nowhere to go everybody was a little freaked out so we all sort of you know hunkered down and sought comfort on the small screen and tiger king became this giant hit and it was this series about um, Joe Exotic, who had this sort of zoo-like <laughs> carnival, which focused on him in a lot of ways and his character, like his um, persona. Like he, he was this larger-than-life, or at least he thought he was this larger-than-life kind of center of the universe of this, of this, you know, like of this creation of his where he talked to the tigers and like he he interacted with them in ways that people normally couldn't and so um and then what happens in any great drama which you know this was based on real life what happened in any, in any great drama is you need a foil you need like someone to to have a conflict with and that person was carol baskin who was trying to save the tigers who, you know, she had her own habitat full of tigers and animals that she had rescued from these kinds of situations. And her argument was that they were being neglected and uh, badly cared for. And uh, so she would, uh, you know, try and steal them. And so they became instant enemies. And this was what? This was, you know, a real one of those real life kind of battles that uh, that Netflix put together into a series and everyone watched it. And the reason I was laughing at the beginning of my intro is, you know, I can't believe I watched this is because I wasn't even that crazy about Tiger King. I thought, you know, I don't really want to watch people behaving badly and sort of because that I felt like Tiger King sort of like made fun of them. So here I was and I saw Joe versus Carol. And of course, 
I, I was expecting the same thing, but the reason I watched it was because of Kate McKinnon. She is a, is a cast member on SNL and she's one of my favorite cast members on SNL and she plays Carol. John Cameron Mitchell plays Joe Exotic. So it looked like, okay, there might be something to this, um, but there isn't. <laughs> so this is, this is like the fictionalized version, which is supposed to go over, go over what sort of happened between them and, you know, especially the conflicts and the law. And, uh, you know, in the end, Joe Exotic ended in jail. I'm not ruining it for anybody because that's what happened at the end of Tiger King. And so it's in terms of the court case and all that, this, this is sort of like trying to, you know, mind the depths of that, that sort of all those events and stuff and give you a different perspective. And the problem I had with this was, uh, you know, I went in, you know, eyes wide open, mind clear of any bias because I thought, well, Kate McKinnon. Well, sometimes there's a problem when an actor executive produces something. It's like that gives them all power, right? And it gives them a, some creative control and possibly people underneath her wouldn't have maybe directed her or, you know, sort of tried to, to rein in the performance and that maybe she had sort of a control over the entire look and feel of it because it, it feels like an SNL skit gone crazy with a larger budget. That's what it feels like. And that's what it looks like in you. You're just not sure because, you know, you see these, these events that happen and it's like, this should be actually played more seriously. And it sort of is, but it sort of isn't. And I'm saying sort of, sort of a lot because I get the sense that they don't, they didn't really know what tone to give. And the only thing that I kept thinking was this is an SNL skit and Kate McKinnon playing Carol Baskin. It's like Kate McKinnon doing an SNL skit the way the, the, the genius of her in her SNL skits is that she goes overboard and she pushes, right? And that works in a skit when you are satirizing something. It doesn't work in a, in a show. This is a, a limited series show. So there are more episodes. And so we have to like, like these people because the expectation is that we're going to follow them. Um, John Cameron Mitchell, the only thing that, that saves him, he's, he's a phenomenal actor, and I, I thought he did much better than she, she did in this. And uh, what saves him is this sort of, it's, it's like he knows how to be a showman, right? The actor knows how to be a showman because of you know, his experience, his acting experience. And it works for his character. But she's supposed to be, you know, I'm going on and on about Kate McKinnon, but, you know, Kate McKinnon is not supposed to be like, like Carol Baskin is not supposed to be a showman. She's not running this carnival-esque, like, zoo. And even Kyle McLaughlin's presence as Carol Baskin's husband, in that, in that universe that has been created in this, at least in the first episode, but I, I suspect it's not going to get any better. 
in that universe, he doesn't, he's not as cartoon-esque as, as the whole the world is, but it's not enough because he's, he's not as big. He doesn't have as big of a place in this. So really, really left me scratching my head. And uh, I can't believe they did this because it's, it's, you can tell they spent a lot of money on it. Well, I remember um, when Tiger King became a phenomenon that there was a lot of studios racing to, to get the, the rights. Cause I, I believe there was like two competing movies that were being talked about. And I guess you now have this series, but from how you're describing it, it sounds like the, I guess what they're missing was that the, um, one of the main draws about Tiger King was not just that how outlandish the story was, but the fact that these were all real people and that these were, yes, yes. these were real events. And I guess if you're having actors now, you know, kind of recreating something that we all know was real and they're now putting their fictional spin on it. It maybe not doesn't, it probably doesn't carry the same weight and the same impact as that seems. It's like when you see, um, you know, the eyes of Tammy Faye documentary, and then you go and watch the fictional movie, you know, the fictional movie doesn't quite have the same punch as the, as the, as the documentary did. Yeah, absolutely. And the problem is that, this doesn't add anything new. It doesn't. It, it's like it just rehashes what we saw. Mm-hmm. So it, really, I, I don't know what the point of it is. You know, if you're not going to have your own creative point of view, like you don't have your point of view of how you're going to tell this story. And it's fiction. So you, know, you need a point of view. You need something, some sort of approach that is unique from you know, simply telling, telling the story, putting together footage of real people in a, in a documentary style series. Yeah. But anyway, so this one is, it's, it's aired on Peacock in the States, but in Canada, uh, we're getting it now on showcase. If anybody uh, wants to take a look at Joe versus Carol. And do we want to move into, I know we both saw um, Lizzo's, new reality yes. show do we want to briefly talk about that one and it's uh titled yeah. lizzo's watch out for the big girls and yes it is a reality series where um superstar singer entertainer lizzo is basically on the hunt for some backup dancers for her world tour but she doesn't want any backup dancers she wants dancers to be part of her elite big girls squad and this is, if you didn't get it by the name, she wants dancers who are of um, plus size nature, but can move, can entertain our performers because she has built a talented squad of plus size dancers, not only to show that to break societal norms and expectations, but also as a way to foster body positivity, sisterhood, um, it's it's quite a, a fascinating look into Lizzo through her dancers. And, you know, it's a very traditional reality competition series. You have a certain number of girls each week. They have to buy for different comp, um, competitions, but they're all dance related. Some of them um, are like costume related. And each week she basically picks several winners to award special prizes and ultimately this is to build up so where she can put uh 
a select few that will make it into to her show. Uh, so that's you know the premise in a nutshell. And I, I was actually quite surprised by how much positivity was in this show because even with a, a reality show, you know, reality thrives off of drama, and there's yes, always some yes. like casting of drama, and we get hints of it. Um, at least in the, in, in the first episode, certain people might be a little more vocal than others, but it's, it's very much a, a show about positive affirmations. And then you also hear uh, in, in some later episodes, the, the struggles that a lot of these dancers are going through in their personal life in terms of like the social media comments that they get for their TikTok videos and whatnot, the, cultural um, views um, even you know we, we always think of it as like from a societal aspect from like oh social media or certain government policies but you also forget there's like cultural and religious views like you you see the ways that women of a certain size are demonized across the board in in various cultures and how we've we have a very skewed view of what beauty is um, what is deemed healthy, what people who are of a big, bigger body physique can do. You know, we expect them to be more limited in, in things, right? Just because of the stereotypes. So it's, it's a quite a fascinating series. Yeah, I, I was absolutely, I don't like reality shows, um, but I was just riveted by this. Because I knew that I loved Lizzo. So that's what drew me to this. Um, but it really like it grabbed me from the beginning because of the positivity, uh, because of her. She is lovable. She is loving, you know, the way that she even coached people, the way she reacted to them just upon meeting them. And then the first audition and, uh, you know, the way she is so brutally honest. Everyone is very brutally honest about their experiences. Um and this is, you know, we all need to hear this because, yeah, it, you know, size, someone's weight and someone's size, that's the last sort of bastion of criticism. People make fun, comics make jokes, you know, it seems to be the last thing that people think they can do, which is wrong. It's like, you can't do that because it's unfair. And, and Lizzo makes this comment at the very, very beginning um, which sums it up. And she says that, you know, she <clears throat> she wanted to have a, a a dancing squad made up of like women that look real um, because she herself uh, was performing and she she used to get comments. People would come up and they would introduce themselves. And when they first met her, they would say, I don't know how you did that. And she said, what does that mean? Nobody goes up to Beyonce and says, I don't know how you did that. You know? And it's like, yes, that's so true. And this is, this is what I loved about it. It's like, these are real women. I remember the first time I saw Lizzo perform and she had her dancers. Um, I think it was an award show. It was probably the Grammys or something. And I saw the dancers and it just, I felt this joy you know, thank God. I felt this joy. I thought, wow, look at this. No more of these skinny models, you know, like, wait, these are dancers, but no more of that body type that people have decided is the ideal woman. It's like, who decided? 
you know, it's, it's totally not fair. So I, I found myself rooting for everybody. And, um, and I think that's, that's what you need in a reality, reality show. You need to root for everybody. You need to care. And for the first time I have tried other reality shows because there have been people saying, well, no, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch that. And I don't like that. And that format that they have, which is always competition, competition. And as you say, it's always based on like trauma, traumatizing it, 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 things happening. And, um, but this is like, you know, this, this feels like, yeah, you know, I know there's drama coming. I saw a little bit of drama, but it's just, it's not as bad as those other ones. And I, I feel like in the end, there's going to be a lot more positivity than there is, you know, negativity. And apparently, you know, she's gotten, I, I follow her on Instagram. She's gotten a lot of positive uh, feedback on the show alone, on just the fact that it exists. Um, and I think that's fantastic because I think like this show could have an impact. It, it is having an impact and is going to help women um, with their body image, with, with feeling proud of themselves for who they are. You know? Yeah. And I think one of the, the, the brilliant aspects of this show is the show is centered so much around body image but the, the issues and stuff that they are talking about go well beyond body image like a lot of it has to do with with self-love and mental health right and right. you know yeah. ha- having confidence in yourself in your your abilities um being able to champion yourself and your art whatever it may be like it's 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 quite skillfully done like a lot of the 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 healing that they're talking about and stuff could apply to anyone like it's, you know, it just happens that they are using plus size women <clears throat> to be the conduit for it. But the themes that they're actually talking on are, are speak are universal, you know, and they're speaking yeah. to women of all shapes and, and sizes and stuff. Like it's it's quite well done. And, you know, hopefully the, the show will will sponsor um, foster more works like this. Who knows? Maybe they might even get a, a second season if it's if it's a hit on Prime. I hope so. I really do, because I agree with you. Yeah. So, okay, so that is Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls. It's on Amazon Prime. And I think that's it for Framline for this week, right? Yeah, a lot of variety, a lot of different um, things for people to check out, depending on what their tastes are. Yep. Okay. So for Courtney Small, I'm Barbara Gosowski. This has been Frameline. Thanks for listening. <laughs>